Hello and welcome to the Truth Labyrinth Podcast. My name is J.R. Everhart. Some call me minister, others call me pastor, most call me friend. Um, and there's a whole bunch that call me sponsor, and there's others that call me counselor, and there's others that call me a brother. Some call me daddy to my little girls, who I love very, very much. Uh, today's podcast is um, <clears throat> really just going to kind of touch on some 101 level, freshman level uh, principles of um, you know basic recovery. And uh, if you're not someone who's in recovery or struggles with any form of addiction or compulsive behavior, which I kind of find that hard to believe because I think all of us are dysfunctional to some degree or another, um, you know, don't fret because I'm sure there's some stuff in here that you can gleam helpful in your walk uh, with Christ. Um, I just got off the phone with a very, very dear uh, brother of mine that uh, I've been sponsoring for about two or three years. Uh, super cool guy, <clears throat> really loves the Lord, really trying to honestly and genuinely, you know, uh, deal with his compulsive behavior issues. Uh, he's not a chemical guy. You know, his struggles are different that way. It's more based around compulsive behavior, um, but definitely falls under the, uh, the uh, umbrella of addiction. So, you know, this whole thing of being a Christian and being in recovery is really just one long series of doing your first fruits over and over. And uh, some kind of look into that, you know, feeling like, well, if you're doing this, you know, the 101 level stuff, you know, the freshman level stuff over and over, you know, how are you gauging growth? Well, you're gauging growth because every time you come back to your first fruits, um, you've learned something from last time and you're applying those first fruits in a different way each time, but they, you know, it's, it's the one Oh one level stuff that builds the foundation for the, you know, two Oh one, three Oh one, four Oh level, four Oh one level, you know, walks in sobriety. You never forget those first fruits because they're your core values. And they are the things that, um, keep you moving in the direction that you want to be moving in, you know, as far as recovery is concerned. And I need to plug my phone in. I'm sorry. Excuse me, guys. I just don't want my phone to die in the middle of our podcast here, in the middle of our conversation. So uh, first and foremost, um, and you hear a lot of people talking about, uh, you know, hello, my name is such and such, and I, you know, struggle with and enlist, you know, a handful of things that are kind of getting in the way of their freedom. Um, so admitting that is, is the first step. I think you could walk up on the street and ask a complete stranger what, you know, the number one principle would be of any sort of recovery. And they would say, stepping out of denial, you know, admitting that you have a problem. Um, but I want to go just a little bit further than that and within staying in that core value 101 level stuff with, you know, you got to be able to reach out and connect with other people. If you are going to continue to isolate, and I mean, this, this goes further than just the people who are in recovery. <clears throat> this goes for all of us, especially in this time of quarantine, we're still... Uh, I mean, I think I think most states are slowly starting to open up, but I don't think people are really falling over themselves to get out the door. But, you know, we've kind of been locked down for, you know, six or eight weeks, you know, um, and that's not looking to really change much in the near future, uh, maybe a little bit. But, um, 
it's going to be a slow process getting to where we can connect in the uh, manner that we were before coronavirus. Um, so, I mean, that, that puts a lot of us in a state of isolation. Isolation is the enemy of sobriety, is the enemy of, you know, peace and harmony in a lot of ways. Uh, yes, there are times where you need to get alone with the Lord and get into prayer and take a time for prayer and fasting, but those are always temporary situations, you know, in your day-to-day, you know, par-for-the-course kind of run-of-the-mill life that we all live, you know, our, our daily habits, it uh, is hugely <clears throat> impacted by the amount of connection that we have with other people. Um, scientifically, eye contact. Eye contact is super huge. Uh, if you start FaceTiming, Zooming, Skyping your friends instead of just calling or texting, you'll find you'll have a, a different level of satisfaction at the end of the conversation than what you would had you just, you know, called or texted. Um, and that's because we're wired that way. You know, God created us that way. He created us for connection. You know, so if you're going to try to have any level of sobriety in your life, and you're going to ignore the elementary principle of picking up the phone and calling someone when you're in a time of time of temptation or a time of need, then um, then you're really missing you're really missing the point right out of the gate because the first thing we do when you come into recovery is. Um, we try to get you up on your sober legs, surround you with people you can trust and people who will love you through this process. Um, and we'll hold you accountable. We call that an accountability team or an accountability network. You know, uh, once you get that established, then you move toward having a sponsor who is someone who will go deep with you, you know, who will, you know, help you walk through the, the really ugly stuff, you know. Uh, a good sponsor will share their story with you as well as um, you sharing all your junk. That way everybody's dirty laundry's on the table and we all feel equal in the eyes of God. So, I mean, it's absolutely vitally important that we, you know, we joke around in, in, our, in my recovery meetings, you know, about uh, the thousand pound phone, you know, in that five minutes of, or five seconds of awkwardness it, that you feel when you call somebody needing help. And there's been many times I've got some sponsees who will call me. I know they're in a crisis moment and they never really even bring it up. They just need to talk to somebody. You know, they need to hear a caring, loving voice on the other end of the phone. And uh, sometimes we don't even get to the conversation of, you know, are you feeling tempted? Are you this? Are you that? You just need to feel the connection, you know, um, and that pulls them out of that crisis mode. Uh, so I can't express how important that principle is to reach out and to connect with other people when you're feeling tempted. Because what happens is when you don't, then, you know, an idle mind is the devil's playground, you know, then we, we, we tend to set and bathe in that temptation or we bathe in the fact that we are feeling depressed or we're feeling lonely or we're feeling, <clears throat> you know, exhausted. For some of you guys, you need to just go to bed and get some rest. You know, like really get a good night's sleep, you know, um, you know, proper sleep drastically, drastically affects brain chemistry, you know, uh, as does exercise. Those are the two biggest things you can, you know, make important in your life that will create the two biggest changes in your life is proper sleep 
and exercise, you know, staying active. And exercise doesn't always have to mean you got to go join a gym and go, you know, hang out with a bunch of people who make you feel fat and lazy. You know, exercise can be, you know, working around the house, you know, getting out in the yard and doing some yard work and cleaning the house. I mean, it's spring right now. We're in May and, you know, it's time for spring cleaning and there's plenty of stuff to do around the house to stay active and just to stay up and moving, you know, go walk around the block, walk around your neighborhood, you know, do things like that to stay active and be sure that you're getting at least seven, eight hours of sleep every single night. If you're not getting that kind of sleep and you find yourself, you know, kind of being haunted with, you know, crazy dreams and, you know, all kinds of uh, stress related things that disrupt you from your sleep, don't be afraid to use an over-the-counter, you know, sleep aid, you know, something that's non-addictive. I highly recommend melatonin, which is 100% natural. You know, you're not going to get addicted to it. It's not going to have any adverse effects in your life. Uh, It's cheap, you know, which is cool. And take a couple melatonin before you lay down every night. You'd be surprised the difference that that'll make. Um, Non-THC CBD oil, you know, is huge right now. Um, and very, very popular. That will help calm anxiety. That will help you get into uh, a deep level of sleep <clears throat> in a positive way without all the negative effects of, you know, uh, CBD or anything like that. And you don't have to, or in the negative effects of THC. I got too many, too many letters going here. I'm spelling incorrectly. Um, So you don't have to worry about failing a drug test or, you know, something like that. You know, just my only advice with that is be careful to find CBD that only has like two or three ingredients. If it has any more than that, you're probably just taking junk. It's a highly unregulated industry. Be sure you connect with, you know, people who are um, who are using all natural CBD. And if you need help with that, feel free to send me a message on Facebook uh, you can find me, J.R. Everhart, on Facebook or the Truth Labbath Podcast is on Facebook and Instagram. Send me a private message. I'll be happy to send you a link, you know, to a company that is, uh, you know, one of the three government-approved labs in the United States, you know, to be able to make the CBD stuff, and they're doing it right. That way you're getting the most bang for your buck because some of that stuff can be a little pricey. So, you know, all those things can can help you you know, get better sleep and to combat anxiety. I think it was Harvard University who some years ago did a a, a blind um, study where they put people on, one group of people on antidepressants like Zoloft and Prozac and that sort of thing. And they put another group of people, uh, all these people were confessing to have issues with depression. They put a second group of people in a exercise group, a daily exercise group, wasn't anything crazy. It was just like a 20, 30 minute, you know, low impact cardio workout. And at the end of 12 and 18 months, the people in the exercise group had uh, just as good and in some cases better results fighting their depression than the people who were in the uh, the medicated group. In fact, when, once you get over that 12, 18-month mark with the medications, they actually start having an adverse effect. Now, I'm not a doctor. These are just things that I've read in studies. You can Google it and find it out for yourself. Talk to your doctor about medication. I'm just telling you the things I've discovered online and the things that I have learned through you know doing addiction counseling is that once you get over that, that 12 or 18-month hump, 
a lot of times, specifically in teenagers, it can take you toward depression instead of away from depression. That's why you constantly have to be going back to the doctor every six or eight months after that and getting your meds recalibrated. So uh, exercise is definitely a much, much more you know, natural remedy to trying to deal with just general anxiety and general depression. Uh, obviously, if you have a medical condition and a clinical depression and that sort of thing, the medication is definitely the direction you want to go. Again, I'm not a doctor. Go talk to your doctor about that and put an avenue of uh, success into place for you. Uh, the next thing I want to get to is, <clears throat> and this is something you don't hear talked about a whole lot inside of 101 level uh, recovery is, you know, your body, or as Christians, we call it our flesh. We define ourselves as uh, flesh and spirit, you know, and, um, you know, we recognize that there's a war going on between those two things, that your spirit wants to do good, but your flesh wants to do evil, and there's just evil that lives in us through our flesh. Uh, I always preempt this with a, with a short 30-second sermon that your flesh didn't get saved. You know, it's not going to heaven. It's going back to the dust of the earth that it came from. The Bible states all that stuff very clearly. You know, you're going to get a new body when you go to, go to heaven. So as long as you got to live in this meat suit that we call our bodies— um, we have to understand that it's never going to fall in line with what's right. You have to force it and train it to do the things that uh, we needed to do to be successful. So when you don't give your flesh what it wants, you know, it tends to throw a little bit of a temper tantrum. You know, um, chemical guys have no problem understanding this because when they quit drinking or quit doing drugs, they immediately feel an effect. You know, their body immediately starts to withdraw from that, 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 that drug or that chemical that they were polluting themselves with. Well, that happens to us too when we pull, you know, uh, negative habit patterns out of our life, uh, usually more on an emotional or anxiety based level. You know, and, um, you know, I know guys that are weaning themselves off of, of porn addiction and sex addiction and chronic masturbation and things like that, <clears throat> who when, when they originally stop doing those activities and start weaning themselves off that, uh, there comes a time with all addicts where you have to go through an initial stage of uh, homeostasis reoccurring in the body and the brain chemistry settling down. That is just as real for sex addicts as it is, you know, uh, guys that are coming off narcotics because they both release the same reward chemicals in the brain. And that's a proven fact. You can Google it and find it out for yourself. Um, so what I'm getting at is when you don't give your flesh what it wants, it will throw a temper tantrum. It will throw you into anxiety. It will throw you into uh, a state of general, you know, depression and, you know, things like that uh, because you're removing something that it's used to getting. And, and the flesh loves loves it when we hit the reward button. You know, it absolutely loves it. That's what addiction is based off of is we use, you know, chemicals or, or habits in our life to hit that reward button. Um you know, for some of us, it's food. You know, we're, we're overeaters, and I definitely struggle with that. And it's the food that is hitting the reward button, that act of eating that is releasing the chemicals in my brain that makes me feel okay, that makes me feel like everything's going to be all right. But as we start weaning those negative habits out of our life, 
our flesh does not want to line up with that, you know, and you could go to, you know, Romans 7 and the Apostle Paul talks in great length about that struggle between his flesh and his spirit and how his flesh just does not want to do what it's supposed to do. And it, it, it to a point to where at, at one point in the scripture, he even says, it's not me that's doing the sin, but the sin that lives in me. You know, he's recognizing that there is a <clears throat> dark side uh, of us that is... That is wanting things that are not healthy for us, you know? So don't be surprised that when you, you know, quit viewing porn or you quit, you know, being that, you know, hyper control freak or you quit eating, you know, a dozen eggs for breakfast, you know, that your body doesn't, doesn't like that, you know? It's perfectly normal to feel some depression in those, in those situations. The way we need to respond to that is, with some of the things we were just talking about, with exercise, with, you know, getting out of the house and picking up the phone and, and calling other people and FaceTiming other people in your support group, you know, and things like that. Uh, the last thing you want to do is set and just, you know, ruminate in this cycle of thinking that is leading you toward more and more deeper levels of temptation, you know, Um you just got to get up. You got to get off your rear end and you got to get busy, you know? Uh, you know, also another one-on-one principle is you are what you eat, you know, not just physically, but mentally, you know, if you're polluting your mind with, you know, you know, violence and, and sex from TV and you're trying to get over anger issues or, you know, pornography addiction or, you know, uh, control issues or codependency or, you know, things like that. That stuff we see on TV will definitely have an impact on us. Uh, being around negative people, being around people who have all these things we're trying to get away from active in, in their life, you know, that's not good for us. You know, we need to change our environments and surround ourselves with people who are going to support, support our sobriety and going to support our efforts, you know, to be the absolute best that we can be, you know, um, I mean, obviously, if, if you're a heroin addict, you need to quit going to the dope man's house. I mean, that's the easy stuff to point out. But it gets a lot more technical when you're talking about compulsive behavior people. You know, for some of us, we need to get away from our own family. Like sometimes our parents are the ones that have implanted this dysfunction in our lives. And we're in a state in our life where we're trying to reparent ourselves and learn how to live and let live and learn how to be an actor instead of a reactor. I know those are like 301 or 401 level principles, you know, of recovery. But, you know, sometimes we need to get those people at arm's length. You know, we need to get, you know, set up some boundaries in our life to where they don't have such a strong voice into our life. And we're not hearing, you know, some of the crap. I've seen some people with some, I'm saying cray cray you know, parents, like parents that were just way out in the left field or brothers and sisters, or they have a cousin they hang out with or, you know, so on and so forth. Um, we need to be feeding ourselves positive stuff. If we expect a positive result, you are what you eat. If you want to have positive thinking in your life where well, the Bible, you know, says that we need to wash our mind, like give our mind a bath in the word of God. You know, that's why reading the Bible is so important. Get in the new Testament, read the four gospels and get in there and, and, and find out who Jesus was and, you know, how, how much he loved and how much he didn't take any crap from the Pharisees and the religious leaders of the day. And, you know, how deeply compassionate he was about a friend who had just died. It says he stood there at his tomb and he wept right before he raised him from the dead. Guy had been dead, you know, four days. 
Mug was already stinking, had some maggot action going on, you know what I'm saying? And Jesus brought him right back from the dead, you know? So, I mean, it's, it's vitally important that we get a clear perspective on who God is, who Christ is, you know, the foundations of, of, our, of our salvation. Many of us have been in, in the church our whole lives and have become so desensitized to the Word of God because we've heard it so much, we really struggle to get anything out of it at all. And God understands that, you know? That's why he, he give us the gift of listening to other people talk about the Bible, which we call sermons by going to church. Or like in my case, I podcast. I podcast a lot. I probably, I probably listen to, without any exaggeration, I'm going to say I listen to six or eight hours of just sermons and Christian-based podcasting a week. And that that's probably a pretty conservative estimate because I podcast usually, you know, four or five hours a day, but it's not all Christian programming. I'm I'm also a news talk junkie, so I like to follow, you know, current events and stuff like that. But um yeah, man, I totally notice a huge difference in my life when I have a regular habit of reading the Bible and listening to sermons online and and really, you know, have a strong prayer life. You know, like I heard a guy say one time, um, he said, I don't really notice a huge difference in my life when I'm reading the Bible every day. He said, but I notice a huge difference in my life when I stop reading the Bible every day. You know, so, I mean, there's something to be said for that, you know. And those of us that have been in the church our whole lives, grew up in the church, maybe under like some really cool teaching, you know, our whole lives, and have a really good grasp on the Word, um, we tend to sometimes get desensitized and we're not we're not really seeing God's message to the depth that we should be, you know, seeing it um, because we're not making much of an effort to get back into the Word, you know. Here's a little prayer that I pray every time before I get into the Word, and it's, Lord, open my eyes to your understanding. These are basically Paul prayers that he prayed to the Colossians and the Ephesians and the Philippians. If you read the first chapters of those books, you'll see this prayer. You know, open my eyes to your understanding, enlighten me to your will in my life, let love abound in me more and more. And then I kind of couple that with, you know, let the words jump off the page and absorb into my into my soul. Uh, Lord, give me revelation knowledge of your word. Give me a greater burning desire to read your word and to discover your truth. Uh, I am right now currently going through a handful of ancient writings that are not Bible, but kind of point to what culture was like during the, the time the Bible was written. You know, and I find that very, very interesting because it sheds a lot of light on what, why, you know, Moses wrote what he wrote or why the Apostle Paul wrote what he wrote because these are the things he was seeing in the world around him, you know. So I find that extremely interesting. That's that's why I'm drawn toward, you know, pastors who bring that kind of information, you know, to the table in their sermons. Matt Chandler's one of those guys in the Village Church, you know, podcast him. He's great. Um, you know, I listen to Andy Stanley out of North Point in Atlanta. Uh, Greg Laurie from Harvest. Uh, I listened to some Stephen Furtick down at Elevation. Um, just a bunch of Ravi Zacharias is great. Just enormous theologian of the gospel of Christ and brings all kinds of historical data to the table in his sermons to kind of just open the Bible up for us so we can see it with new eyes. But you got to have a desire to do that, you know. Um, so many times in in recovery, we we hound on this white knuckle idea of just not using 
are not, you know, participating in the behavior that has been our life, that we forget that it's a process. And, you know, you didn't get to where you are overnight. You're not getting out of it overnight. I can't tell you, especially chemical guys are horrible for this. I can't tell you how many chemical guys I've had come to me and just say, I'm just going to pray for the Lord to just heal me and just overnight everything's going to go away. Well, no, that's not usually how it works. You know, God did everything he needed to do to heal you at the cross of Calvary. That work is done. You are the one that needs to learn how to walk in freedom, you know, and that it comes through you discovering God on a deeper level and you starting to practice some obedience in your life. Self-control is a fruit of the spirit. So, I mean, we should be practicing self-control on the same level that we practice hope, love, you know, long suffering, you know, all those things, you know are all, you know, part of the fruit of the Spirit that should be active in our life. So many times we get so focused on just not beating ourselves up over the wrong that we've done and working through the nuts and bolts of all that stuff, which is hugely important in your recovery, don't get me wrong, but we kind of sometimes get stuck in that rut and we're not going to the next level, you know, because we allow ourselves to be identified with the addiction label and, you know, we find some victory and we find some people we love and trust that we're talking to, but then we just got to get, we get comfortable in that mode. Part of doing your first fruits over again is to catapult you to the next level. You know, so if you're not growing past, like it's not God's will for you to be addicted to pornography the rest of your life. You don't have to be that person. That doesn't mean that you don't struggle with temptation, but it means that you've made some some changes in your life where that's not something that's going to be there every single day. It's not going to be a habit pattern in your life anymore. You are able to move past that. And that's how we get to the the next level, you know, is by getting real and getting honest with ourselves and saying, okay, I've got a year of sobriety now, or I've got two years of sobriety. In my case, I have about seven and a half years of sobriety, you know, pushing eight years. And, you know, there comes a point where you just got to say, look, you know, I need to be obedient. You know, I need to work the program. I need to pick up the phone. Here's your first fruits coming back into play. Your core values coming back up, surfacing. You know, I need to pick up the phone and call people before I fall, not after. Like most guys have no problem picking up the phone and and calling me after they've already used or they've already fallen. And I'm like, guys, you got to pick up the phone before you do that. You know, you got to lean into your accountability group before you do that. So, I mean, that is, it's hugely, hugely important or else you're never going to get to the next level. You're never going to get to that varsity level, you know, at, at 401, you know, that varsity level of recovery where you're really truly living in victory without the constant slip ups, without the constant, you know, um, setbacks, you know, and things like that in your walk. You don't, that doesn't have to be who you are. Your past does not dictate your future. You dictate your future. You know, and it comes by, This last thing about our core values and our 101 level recovery principles is taking it one step at a time. One step at a time. What is my next right decision? It's really that simple. You know, I woke up this morning and the first thing that came to my mind was a level of temptation to act out in a behavior that I have chosen to set behind me. Well, instead of just laying there in bed and wallowing in that and bathing in that idea of temptation, I got up out of bed and I went to the kitchen and I made myself, you know, some breakfast, you know, and this is the other thing they don't talk about. Temptation usually only lasts five minutes to 30 minutes. 
If you can distract yourself and get up and get active and get busy, you can get out of that. That is your way of escape. God promised you out of every temptation. Sometimes we need to pray for God to reveal that way of escape as if we were five-year-olds because we tend to miss it. But that's that was my way of escape. I can get up out of bed and not sit there and wallow in this temptation and go get busy doing something else. And you know what? 10, 15 minutes later, I'm not even thinking about the temptation anymore. It's gone. You know, temptation is not a state that we live in constantly unless we're either pursuing it or we're allowing it to permeate in our thought process. You are in control of where you are. You're the one that makes the decisions. You're the one that dictates your next step. God's the one that guides them. Are you going to follow his guide? Are you going to stay on the narrow path? Are you going to take the wide, easy path of destruction? The choice is ours each and every day. You know, sometimes we got to let the tape play. You know, sometimes that's how we, you know, get out of temptation as we sit and we think, okay, well, I get up, you know, or I feel tempted to drink. Okay, so then I start to let the tape play. Well, what's going to happen if I drink? Well, if I drink one beer, that's going to turn into 10 beers, and then that's going to turn into probably some Crown Royal, and then that's going to turn into maybe going out and getting in my car and driving somewhere, you know, intoxicated and possibly getting a DUI and then end up in jail. And then, you know, uh, then, you know, I'm, I'm already, you know, financially strapped because of coronavirus. Then I'm going to be another $5,000 out and trying to fight a DUI charge and possibly lose my driver's license. And in, in my case, I have a commercial driver's license, lose my CDLs, you know, or something like that. Um, you know, so when you sit there and you let the tape play, then you're thinking, well, is it really worth that first drink if that's where I'm going to end up? No, it's really not. You know, and you can apply that principle to whatever your temptation is. You know, if it's it's if it's to get mad, and this is something I'm dealing with in my life right now, and really, really trying to, you know, get my anger in check. My anger has cost me some very expensive things in my life, uh, both physically and emotionally and spiritually, in the last six months, and I have enormous amounts of uh, um, regret about that. So I am, you know, I'm turning that regret and that suffering into a, an opportunity to grow, you know, and I'm really, really trying to grab a hold of my anger as soon as it starts to ignite. Well, man, that doesn't come natural. That's a learned behavior. You know, I mean, I have to, you know, I have to cast down every thought and imagination that exalts itself above the knowledge of God. You know, I've got to pick up the phone and call somebody and say, hey, man, I'm, I feel like, you know, throat punching somebody right now, you know, and you know, that sort of thing, and get that stuff off my chest and, and get it, you know, get it out in the open. The Bible says in James that when we confess our sins to each other, we are healed. So when we confess our sins to him, we're forgiven. When we confess our sins to God, it says boldly come before the throne of grace, that God is faithful and just and will forgive you every single time you ask for forgiveness. Well, that's only half of what has to be done. The next, the other half of it is find your sponsor or your accountability partner, somebody you can trust, and you confess it to them, and you tell them, look, man, I'm struggling, Jack. You know, I'm really having some problems right now. And we, we put the program into play in our life. And the second we fall in love with the process of all these principles I'm talking about is the beginning of peace and harmony and true sobriety in our life. I know a whole bunch of sober people who are the most miserable people you've ever met in your life because all they've ever learned how to do in sobriety or in recovery is pull the chemical out of their life or pull 
whatever it was that was holding them back out of their life. We call them people a dry drunk. Like they may not drink anymore, but they're just as much of an alcoholic in their head as what they've ever been because they never took time to dig into the core issues that was causing their alcoholism and then take it to the next step of obedience and walking out the changes that need to take place for them to have peace and harmony in their life. Recovery's tough, guys. Ain't nothing easy about it. It's not for sissies. You know, and neither is serving God. You know, it, it is what it is. There's no easy way through this life. You know, we live in a in a time now where a lot of the modern church is, is preaching hyper grace and telling you that God's okay with your sin. God is not okay with your sin. Okay? Grace does not make sin safe. Yes, he will be he will forgive you every time you ask for forgiveness. Yes. But that doesn't mean you're gonna have a lick of victory here on earth. Salvation is free, holiness is earned. And we need to learn to be holy for one very important reason. Because when we're holy and we're walking upright before the Lord and we're doing all these things that I just talked about, all these core value principles and, you know, one-on-one level, you know, first fruits principles, when we're doing all those things, then we're walking in holiness. We're being obedient to what God has called us to be. Then we're living in the fullness of what God has for us. But more importantly, and here's the number one reason why we should be seeking holiness, is because it allows God's anointing to fall on your life, and then he anoints your words with huge amounts of weight so that when you are speaking the truth that he's revealed to you, to someone else, it cuts to the marrow of who they are. And that you have a good witness in their eyes. That's why we seek holiness. Because we are the church. We are his arms and his legs. He told us to go into the highways and the byways and to preach this good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, we can't do that if there's a bunch of junk in our life. I mean, yes, technically you can stand up and be honest and say, I have a bunch of junk in my life and God's working on me and God will use that. But if you can get to this next level you know, pathway of recovery where God's anointing is operating in your life on a regular basis, number one, there's huge amounts of fulfillment that you get out of that. And number two, now you're giving back to the program. Now you're working the program and going to help someone else work the program. Having God's anointing on that process makes that process a thousand times more effective. And it only comes through you being honest about your walk and you practicing obedience, you practicing self-control, you practicing long-suffering, and teaching the principles that suffering leads to growth. It's in those times of suffering we grow the most. It's in those times of suffering, and really this is still a 101 principle, in those times of suffering is where we start asking ourselves the tough questions. It's where our accountability people and our sponsors get like really real with us. And say, well, you know what, Jr., you kind of been missing it here, brother. You know, you've allowed this into your life, and you've compromised that, and you've learned how to justify this negative behavior. And you know, when you allow that junk in your life, what do you think is going to be the result of that? What do you think? What kind of fruit do you think those seeds are going to produce? Seeds of anger only produce horrible destruction. It, it is never going to produce good stuff. Bad seed will never give you a harvest of good fruit. It does not exist. 
You can set and justify it all you want. You can have a thousand excuses why it's, you know, the world operates differently for you than it does anybody else. It's all bull butter. You're believing a lie. That's not the way this works. You have to practice these first fruit principles and get them laid at the foundation of your daily walk before you're ever going to get to the next level, before you're ever going to have the ability to practice obedience, before you're ever going to have the ability to even be able to spell self-control, much less walk it out. We're called to all those things, guys. We're called to all those things. It is God's will for us to be victorious, to be free, and to be bringing other people into the faith, bringing other people, helping other people along as they try to find freedom in their lives. That's our responsibility. That's what God expects from us. He took care of the salvation and the sin issues at Calvary. All we have to do is practice a life of repentance. But it's our responsibility to practice a life and walk out a life of holiness. And you can't do it if you don't understand these first fruits. And you're never going to get to that varsity level. And, and, you know, and let me say this. That varsity level doesn't mean you got it all figured out, okay? That varsity level doesn't mean that you have arrived and now you don't struggle with anything anymore. No, you're still peeling the onion. And with each layer is a different set of, of challenges that you have to face. But if you spend 10 years or your whole life still trying to get over that, that 101 layer of the onion well, then you've really done yourself a disservice because you deserve to get four layers into the onion. Don't you? Don't you believe that about yourself? Don't you, don't you think you deserve that? Look, you are the underdog. Everybody around you has told you you're never going to get over this or you're never going to get straight. Maybe it was your kids. Maybe it was your parents. Maybe it was your friends. Everybody. Don't you want to prove them people wrong? Don't you deserve happiness? Don't you deserve peace and harmony in your life? Think about that. You are your own hero. And it all comes down to what path you choose to follow. It's entirely up to you. Your future is entirely up to you. It happens one step at a time. But it's a slow and sometimes painful process. And that is the uncomfortable process of recovery that pushes a lot of people back into their negative habits. Look, I hate to say this, and it grieves me to have to make this statement, but not everyone's going to get it. They didn't in Jesus' day, and they're not going to get it now. Not everyone is going to understand. I have recently, just recently, had conversations with people where I laid all the facts on the table, and they still will ignore the facts, the proof that you put right in front of them about how they should believe and how they should walk out their life. And they still are, are lost in their own addictions and still lost in their own, their own thought processes of, you know, this is how they want to live. Well, God has given you free will. You can choose to, to live a life of chaos and dysfunction just as easily, actually easier, than you can choose a life of freedom, peace, and harmony. The choice is yours, guys. I'm not holding a gun to your head, and neither is God. And I hate to say it, but not everybody's going to make it. Not everybody's going to make it to heaven. There's a whole lot of people in this world who are going to look you dead in the eye 
and say, and they may even come out as far as to say, I even understand and see the truth that you're talking about. But that works for you. I don't know that that will work for me. Okay, well then keep on going on with your life of addiction and compulsive behavior. And, you know, maybe I'll see you in five or ten years or maybe I'll be at your funeral in five or ten years. I can't sit here and begin to tell you the times I've had to stand over caskets of guys that I worked with, you know, had been on my prayer list for years and just never got it right. And now they're somewhere in the afterlife. I'm not someone who dictates who's going to heaven and hell. That's not my place. There's only one entity in this whole universe that's going to do that, and that's God. So it's not my role to say who's going to heaven and who's going to hell. So when I stand over that coffin, I like to think the best. I like to think that maybe in their time, their time of, of, of need, they cried out to God. And maybe they got in. I don't know, but I worry. You know, I worry about it. This is life and death stuff. Especially now with all the chaos that's going on in the world now. I just read yesterday that the overdose rate in my local community here in West Virginia has skyrocketed over the last six weeks. You know why? Because they shut down all the support meetings and they shut down all the health clinics that are helping addicts. So then you, you, you lock addicts down, isolate them at home without any support. You know, the guys are in early recovery. They, don't, they haven't gotten these 101 first fruit stuff built into their sobriety yet, into the recovery process yet, and they're popping left and right. People dying. It's life and death, guys. People dying left and right. Not everybody's going to make it. Are you? Well, are you? Are you going to continue to walk in your stubborn ways? Or are you going to humble yourself before a mighty God that loves you? And has given everything for you. Are you going to be brave enough? Are you going to be your own hero? And walk out onto the battlefield and say, you know what? I'm going to pull my sword from its, from its sheath. And I'm going to go to war for what's important to me. And you can't do it for your kids. You can't do it for your wife, your parents, your 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 know hundred thousand dollar year job, or you know whatever. I have I have counseled and sponsored guys that were making six figure incomes. It doesn't matter. Addiction knows no boundaries. Recovery knows no boundaries. Your money doesn't impress me, and it's not impressing God either. Are you ready to get to a place where you're going to set your pride aside and you're going to humble yourself and you're going to finally say, hey, I need help. If you are, I want you to pray this prayer with me right now. You can pray it under your breath. You don't have to make a scene. If you're listening to this in your you know, uh, ear, ear pods and you're at work or you're sitting in your cubicle and you don't want anybody to hear you or you know, if your wife is sitting next to you and you, you don't want... You know, you don't want to give her the satisfaction because she's been praying for you for 10 years. Just pray this to yourself. Lord, I desperately need you. My life has become unmanageable. I don't even know who the person is that I'm looking at in the mirror every morning. I have no idea what I'm doing anymore. I am so driven by this impulsive need for whatever it is, if it's pornography, if it's extramarital affairs, if it's drugs, alcohol, 
if it's anger, if it's codependency. Lord, I just give all that junk to you. I surrender myself to you right now. And I ask you to come into your come into my life. I invite you, Lord, please, into my life. And I ask you to take this mess and rip it apart in a million different pieces. And then help me to slowly put it back into something that is beautiful. Into a sculpture that everyone will admire. Most importantly, into something I can love and respect again. Lord, I give myself to you. I openly confess with all my heart, Jesus was the Son of God. He was crucified for my sins. He did raise from the dead three days later and is now sitting at your right hand. Lord, I believe that with all my heart. I just repent for the fact that I've been so rebellious for so many years that I just felt like it wasn't my time. That, you know, this all this religious stuff is for somebody else. You know, I don't want to be, uh, you know, some church-going Jesus freak. But, Lord, I do need a personal relationship with you. I don't know that I'll ever walk into another church after what they did to me. But I do know you're real. And I do know that these words JR is telling me is resonating in my heart and in my soul. And I know... This is what I'm supposed to do. And this is what I was created to do, was to surrender to you and to become someone that your glory can shine through again. Take me, Lord. Rebuild me. Forgive me of my sins. In Jesus' holy name I pray. Amen. Guys, if you prayed that, Please drop me a message so I can help you, so I can point you in a good direction to get plugged into a meeting or just get plugged into a group of guys, you know. Um, I'll happily plug you into the Zoom meetings that my recovery group has every Tuesday night. You know, that's an open forum. Anyone in the world is welcome to join that meeting, you know. You don't have to be in our area anymore. That's the beautiful thing about Zoom. Just send me your information and we'll add you to the meeting. And you can get in there and you can see that, man, you get surrounded by a whole bunch of people that are messed up because we're all jacked up. But we love each other and we're all trying to get to a common goal. And that is to get to the next level. That is to put these principles I've been talking about for the last 45 minutes into into action in my life. You know, you can have all the wisdom and all the knowledge in the world. I know a whole lot of non-believers that have enormous amounts of knowledge about the Bible, but they have absolutely no revelation about it. They don't have any idea who God is. A lot of people want to call themselves Christians. Not a lot of people know who Jesus really is. If you prayed that prayer, guys, let me know. Send me a message on Facebook or Instagram or, you know, uh, hit me up on Facebook. I'm easy to find. If you Google J.R. Everhart, you will find me all over the place. Please, let me help you be the person that you deserve to be. You know, reach out. And if I can't do it, I'll plug you into somebody who can. You know, I want to get you in a group of people in your local community that can help you out. Guys, this is my message for today. Please subscribe. Please share this with someone you think it may, you know, bless. You know, I'm trying to get these messages out, not because I'm all that, because believe me, I'm not, you know, but because this message needs to hit the hearts 
of people that are hurting and dying in this world. So please subscribe to this. Leave me a review. When you leave those five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts or wherever you stream your podcasts at, uh, when you leave those reviews, it pushes my podcast further up the ladder for people looking for this kind of message. And that's what we want. That's the whole purpose of this podcast. This isn't about me. I don't make a dime off any of this. This is total volunteer for me. I'm not, I have no agenda here outside of just trying to help people connect with Christ on a deeper level. So please, I pray that you subscribe, you like it, leave me a review, send me a message. If you have any questions, I am all about answering questions. I love that. Um, And I pray you have just a blessed week, just a really, really blessed week. In Jesus' name.